We're in the book of Matthew. If you want to turn there, we're in the beatitude in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5. Last week, when I began the message last week, I asked you to think about the people who were involved in your salvation. And I specifically asked you to think about those people in the context of the local church. Even if a single individual was used to lead you to the Lord, that individual was likely discipled in the context of a local church. And so they learned what they learned that helped you in and through the ministry of the church. And when we kind of think like that and we start to think about it, there's really this amazing chain of influence as God works through his people to build the church, to build the church of Jesus Christ. And when we think of that multitude of every tribe and tongue and nation standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed in the white garments of Christ's righteousness, isn't it amazing to think that they were influenced by believers who were influenced by believers who were influenced by others, and that that influence can really be traced all the way back to the 120 Believers who prayed in the upper room in Jerusalem as recorded in the book of Acts. The work of Christ in building his church began with the church in Jerusalem and from the church in Jerusalem it spread over the whole world. And God is saving people from every tribe and tongue and nation through his church. God is working through the church to save people and to transform them into the image of of Jesus Christ. And he's turning his enemies into worshipers. He's making wretched people righteous. And he's adopting as sons those who were alienated from him as sinners. They were hostile. And now think about it. Now they honor him. And all of this work that God is doing happens through the church, and all of this is designed to glorify and honor and magnify our great God. This morning we're looking, as I said, at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And last week I showed you that a peacemaker is somebody who makes peace. He, is, he or she brings others into a state of peace. And this peace begins with God. Peacemaking needs to start with peace with God. Because only when we are right with God and our sins are forgiven and forsaken, only then can we make real peace with other people. And so we need the peace of God. And we need that peace because we are born into this world as enemies of God. Last week, I spent much of our time together showing from Scripture that we need salvation through Jesus Christ to have that peace with God. Without salvation, there is no peace. And we, as Christians, as believers, are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be peacemakers both individually and corporately as a local church. Our mission as a local church, the Great Commission, is to make disciples. We reach the lost and we teach them to obey Jesus Christ. 
A disciple is a learner of Jesus Christ, someone who comes to know him and learns from him such that they begin to live like him in every sphere of their lives. That's our goal as a local church, to teach people Jesus Christ so that they are transformed into his image. And individually, too, we are called to participate with God in his work of saving sinners. I think that's really an indisputable fact that we are called to work with God in saving sinners. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, part of what it means to follow him is to make others follow him, to help others to come along and follow after him. But to be really precise here in, in what we're talking about in this text, if you are a Christian, it's not that just that you are called to be a peacemaker or that you should be a peacemaker. This beatitude teaches that you are a peacemaker. All of these beatitudes, all of these blessed are statements from verse 3 to verse 10 describe believers. They describe people to whom the kingdom belongs. And again, in our verse it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you are a son of God, you are blessed and you are a peacemaker. Being one who brings others into a relationship with God is a sign that you are a true son of God. And still, like we saw in the other Beatitudes, this is also something that we can grow in. This is something that we can get better at. We are peacemakers, and yet we are also called to serve as peacemakers. Just turn back with me to Matthew chapter 4 for a moment. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him, verse 19, look what he said there. He says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and this is what I will do. I will make you fishers of men. Now just turn to a a parallel passage in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus is catching sinful men and making them his disciples. And they left everything to follow him to become catchers of men like their masters. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. 
And so if you are righteous, the fruit of your life, what, what comes out of your life, the result of your life is a, a tree of life. In, in other words, you are going to be a capturer of souls, and that is wisdom, and that is righteousness. And the Apostle Paul, he saw himself as a soul winner. The fruit of his life was life to those who were being saved. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? His life was a sweet-smelling fragrance to God and the fragrance of eternal life to those who were being saved. Again, 11 verse 30 of Proverbs, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. Daniel said something very similar in chapter 12, talking about the end times, talking about the reality of the resurrection, that there is either eternal life or eternal destruction. Listen to what he says, Daniel 12 and verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. In other words, they're, they're dead in the earth, and they shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is our task, to turn many to righteousness. Eternal destruction or eternal life awaits every man, woman, and child. And wisdom says that we work with God to reach them before it is too late. Again, the Apostle Paul is our example in this. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. In verse 22, he says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. He wants to share in the blessings of the gospel. He wants to participate in the gospel by doing what he can to win people to Jesus Christ. And in 2 Timothy 2 verse 10, he says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And if you go back to verse 8 and you ask, what is the, the reasoning here? Why does Paul say that, therefore, I endure all things? Well, verse 8, he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And so because the word is not bound, Paul suffers for the gospel but he continues to participate in, his, in this ministry because he knows it will not be in vain. And so he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God is working to save his chosen people. 
He is working to bring them to eternal glory. And if we are his people, we are blessed to serve in this ministries. We are peacemakers. In fact, turn with me to, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that we were saved for this very purpose. We were saved to be peacemakers, to be evangelists. And so 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And notice particularly in verse 9, that very important word there, that, in the middle of verse 9. The New American Standard Bible translates it even more explicitly, so that you were saved, you were chosen, you were made God's people for this reason, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of Christ. This is the reason or one of the reasons why we were saved is to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel, to act as evangelists. Now, it's wonderful to know that this is our purpose. It's wonderful to know that this is our privilege. It's great to know that it's a a wise thing to do and that it's a fruitful thing to do and it's a righteous thing to do and it's a blessed thing to do. But here's what I, uh, what we really need this morning is just some practical guidance on how to do this work. And so what I'm going to try to do today is show you what a peacemaker looks like. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? What are the characteristics of a peacemaker, of one who comes and, and helps others to come to peace with God through the gospel? And I've come up as I, I thought about it this week and last week, I've come up with eight characteristics of a peacemaker. Eight characteristics of a peacemaker. And I think that this will help you to serve the Lord and to be useful for Him in ministry. I I really think this will be helpful for all of us as we look at these. And so there's eight characteristics. And the first one is, is that a peacemaker or an evangelist is one who has peace with God. A peacemaker, number one, has peace with God. A peacemaker has peace with God. The evangelist that Jesus calls blessed in our text is first and foremost a Christian. And one day they shall be called the sons of God. This means that they will be one day declared to be the sons of God. And this means, of course, that they themselves are believers. They have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. How could they bring somebody else to a peace that they do not have? Now, it it could be true that God could use somebody to bring his salvation to others, and that messenger could be without the salvation that he proclaims to others. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. The, The blessed peacemaker is the one who himself has peace with God. The Puritan Richard Baxter once famously warned preachers, from the, the text in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 where it says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And Richard Baxter took that and he, he warns preachers 
And really, all of us are proclaimers of the gospel. He warns us to take heed to ourselves. Listen, listen to his words, quote, See that the work of saving grace be thoroughly wrought in your own souls. Take heed to yourselves, lest you be void of that saving grace of God which you offer to others, and be strangers to that effectual working of the gospel which you preach, and lest, while you proclaim to the world the necessity of a Savior, your own heart should neglect Him, and you should miss of an interest in Him and His saving benefits. Take heed to yourselves, lest you perish while you call upon others to take heed of perishing, unless you famish while you prepare food for them. Many have warned others that they come not to that place of torment while they hasten to it themselves. Many a preacher is now in hell who has a hundred times called upon his hearers to use the utmost care and diligence to escape it. Oh, sirs, how many have preached Christ and yet have perished for want of a saving interest in him? How many who are now in hell have told their people of the torments of hell and warned them to escape from it? How many have preached the wrath of God against sinners who are now enduring it? Oh, what sadder case can there be in the world than for a man who made it his very trade and calling to proclaim salvation and to help others to heaven, yet after all, to be himself shut out. End quote. We are called to proclaim salvation to others, but the first step is really to ensure that we ourselves are saved. And so the first characteristic of a peacemaker is that he has or she has peace with God. Number two, a peacemaker or an evangelist sees the need for peace. A peacemaker or an evangelist sees the need for peace. If we're going to be used to bring others to the Lord, we need to have some convictions about their need for a Savior. We need to be convinced that others need the same salvation that we have. We won't be very motivated if we only have some fuzzy thoughts about the afterlife or a vague notion that it won't go well in eternity for the lost. That's not going to be enough to, to drive us into this work. We need to recognize the need for peace with some concrete convictions. And if you already have peace with God yourself, this shouldn't be too hard. You see, the need of salvation that you had is the same need that others have. Think of someone you know that needs salvation. Just think of them right now. They're the same now as you were before you were saved. Were you a sinner? So are they. Did your sins separate you from God? So do theirs. Was the penalty for your sin death? The same penalty awaits them. Was the God that you sinned against infinitely good such that sinning against him demands an infinite penalty? Well, God hasn't changed. Was an eternity in hell awaiting you as the just outcome of your sinful and deliberate rebellion against God? You see, are you beginning to see the need that every person has? A peacemaker is one who believes these truths. The same truths that you believe that led to your salvation apply to the whole world. God is, and He is holy and just. Hell is a real place, and it's a horrible place. 
God is good and therefore to uphold his glory in his world, he will punish the wicked in conscience, physical torment of hell forever. Now, if we struggle with, with that thought, as, as I admit that I do, even as I proclaim it to you, that, that it's such a horrible thought. If we struggle with it, we have either too low of a view of God or too low of a view of the sinfulness and wickedness of sin. But struggle with it or not, this much is abundantly clear. The reality of hell is clearly revealed in Scripture. And I know without a doubt that Scripture is true. And I know this too, that I deserved to go to hell for my sins. And if it's true of me for my sins, it is true for all sinners. And so that person that you have in mind, the wrath of God abides on them now and they need salvation. The whole world is in desperate need of salvation. And they are blinded to it. They, they don't even care. They may be entirely unconcerned about their need, but we know their need and we know the true condition of their hearts and their need of a Savior. And so a peacemaker sees the need that others have in the world. And then thirdly, a peacemaker knows the way of peace. A peacemaker must be one who knows the way of peace. Because if we're going to help others out of their desperate estate, we need to know how to explain the gospel to them. It's so important, first of all, just for us to know the gospel. First, for our own souls, we need to know the gospel. But then to help others come to God, we need to be able to explain the gospel to them. Do you know, brothers and sisters, what must be communicated to a sinner so that they might be saved? I printed some of these, and they're in the back, some of these little gospel cards. I, I made these for you. They didn't print very well, but they're just a little memory tool that I made to help you know the gospel yourselves. And there's four headings on it. Very, very simple. God, man, Christ, and response. Or God, man, Christ, and sinners, as it says on the card. And there's two or three subheadings under each. And these kind of cover the, the basic things that we need to know in the gospel to communicate. And the first one is that God is the creator of this world. And that this is his world. That he created and owns everything. As it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. And this God who created and owns everything is perfectly holy. There is no darkness in him and he requires perfect obedience to his law. And that's a, a problem for us as man because as man, we have broken God's law and we have sinned against this holy God who owns this universe. As it is written in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And man will pay the eternal penalty for sin. And so this is what we communicate to people, that there is a penalty for sin and you will pay it unless you find a way of salvation. And yet we tell man that there is nothing that they can do to save themselves. There is no amount of good works that a man can do to earn favor with God. And so Titus 3.5 says that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
not because of our works, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so there's nothing that this man can do to save himself. And so the answer to man's dilemma is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who came to earth as both God and sinless man. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. He is both God and he is man. And he came to earth to demonstrate God's love by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And so Romans 5 and verse 8, For God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And this Jesus who came to to die for our sins and to earn a perfect righteousness for us, he rose again from the grave and he is alive today. And so we want to tell people that not only did Christ die, but he has risen again. And now he calls all people to repentance. And so here is the response to the good news of the gospel that you must repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Man must repent of all that dishonors God, and man must believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so that is the gospel. And then what we must do with that gospel is we don't only tell people that, but we call them to repent and believe. And so we ask them, will you repent and believe in Jesus Christ? Acts 17.30, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. And so we call them to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel that we must proclaim. And also, if we're, if we're going to know this gospel and communicate this gospel, we've got to learn some of those big words that, that we saw last week, like justification and sanctification and redemption and ransom and reconciliation and propitiation. And these are the kinds of words that we need to know that the Bible uses so that we can communicate the meaning of the gospel to people. That's what a a peacemaker must be able to do because how are you going to lead somebody to the Lord if you can't explain the, the gospel message through which one comes to the Lord? And so these things are very, very important. A peacemaker knows the way of peace. And you can grab one of these and, and memorize some of these scriptures. as a, It's just an easy way to remember, what do I need to cover when I talk to somebody about the gospel? Now, fourthly, a peacemaker not only you know, knows the, the need of people and has peace with God himself, knows the way, knows how to explain the gospel, but fourthly, a peacemaker is somebody who lives righteously. We could say there's somebody who lives out the implications of the gospel. And what I want to say here is that if you want to be effective in evangelism, you need to show by your life that the gospel that you proclaim to others has indeed changed you. You know, you can undo by your life what you say with your words. Unbelievers are already looking for excuses not to believe. And unbelievers have high expectations of righteousness for anyone who proclaims to follow Christ. And they're looking for hypocrisy in you. They want an excuse for their rejection of the gospel, and so don't give them one. They're watching you, especially if you've proclaimed the gospel to them. They're, they're watching your life. And they're thinking, this fellow, this lady, 
says the creator God of the universe has saved them from sin and, and brought them to repentance. And your life should confirm that truth for them. You want to communicate to the unbeliever that you are a sinner and that you still sin. You want to show them that you're not saved by your righteousness, that your standing with God is not based on your righteousness, but on what Christ has done. But still, they should see in you a commitment to God. They should look at your life and see a resolve in you to walk in obedience to God and that there is a joy in you, a, a joy that you have in knowing and serving this God. And two places in particular where this is especially necessary, I think, is in the home and in the work workplace. And so moms and dads, do you want to see your children come to salvation in Christ? Then live before their eyes with a godly sincerity. Seek to honor the Lord in your home in every situation. You know, children know if your faith is genuine or not. They know when we're sinning. They know when we're grumpy. They know all of our failures. And they see our failures. Let them see our repentance as well. Let them see us growing in grace and in following the Lord. Let them see us following after Christ and being obedient to Him in every situation in our home. And another place where, this is, where we need to be careful about this, as I said, is the workplace. We have a, a testimony at our workplace. What would your coworkers say about your life? What would they say about your Christian testimony? Is your testimony at work a help or a hindrance in your work as a missionary in your workplace? Because you are a missionary in your workplace. And in every other sphere where the Lord has put you, that's why you're here. You're here to, to work for the Lord and serve Him while you live as a missionary to bring others to Christ and help them grow up in their discipleship in the Lord. And so the question is not whether we are missionaries or not, but whether we are good missionaries or not. Now, under this heading, we need to be careful because I don't want anyone to think that living righteously is the gospel. If all you do is live holy and you don't proclaim the gospel, you're more likely to leave people with a false notion of the gospel. They're, they're likely to think that your salvation is by works because that's kind of the default position of most people. They think salvation is by works. And if you just live righteously, they're going to think that you're trying to earn your salvation. The gospel is a message that must be communicated. Your life maybe helps to confirm that message, but your life is not the gospel. And so uh, a peacemaker lives righteously before lost men, really because they, they live their life before God. And so they, they live righteously not to undo the gospel message that they preach. Now, fifthly, a peacemaker is one who loves others. A peacemaker loves others. Love is a great motivation in evangelism. Love for others means we care about them. It means we care about their eternal destiny. It means that we care about others' highest good. And what is the greatest good that any man, woman, or child could enjoy? It's a relationship with the triune God of Scripture. And if we believe that God is the greatest good and we love others, we will seek to bring them into relationship with God. 
We will orient our lives around this goal of fishing for men. And the Great Commission will become our mission in life. We will become like Paul who made himself the servant of all that he might win more. We will be like Paul who did everything for the sake of the gospel. We will be like Paul who said in Romans 9.3, I could wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. The love of God in Paul's heart made him almost wish that he could take the place of his people in hell. He said, I could wish myself accursed. Love is a willingness to suffer on behalf of others. Love says, I will lay down my rights. Love says, I will lay down my privileges. I will lay down my comforts. And I will lay down my very life for the sake of those for whom I love. Love says that I will gladly lay it all down that those who are without Christ and without all the benefits that I enjoy in Christ and without God and without hope in the world, love says I will gladly lay it all down if, if there's a chance that they might be saved. Love says with Paul, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Love says that they also might be there. Love says with Jesus, I lay down my life for the sheep. We don't lay down our life in an atonement, but we lay down our life to serve the Lord that people might be saved. There are sheep that God is yet going to bring to himself for his glory. And in love for them, we can work together with God in this great work. But let me tell you something important then as well. Love isn't enough. Love for others isn't enough of a motivation. We need more. And that's why there's a sixth characteristic of a peacemaker. And that is that a peacemaker loves God. A peacemaker not only loves others, but a peacemaker loves God because people can be hard to love, especially sinners who resist the truth in unrighteousness. It takes more than love for others to motivate us to evangelism. It takes love for God. People who are hostile to the gospel can be difficult to love. They don't want the very thing that they need. And as you think about this, have you ever wondered about the Apostle Paul. Just think about the Apostle Paul. You know, some days we think, well, we had a, a tough day. Oh, I, I tried to share the gospel, and well, they didn't receive it well. But think about Paul here, Acts 14, 19. And, and why don't, actually, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts 14, verse, starting at verse 19, they're uh, in Lystra, but uh, verse 19 says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now what amazes me about Paul is 
the very next day, after being stoned near to death, he goes up and he continues on with his mission. And notice, he even goes back to Lystra where he got stoned. He goes back to Antioch and Iconium where the people who incited the people who stoned him came from. Where the, and, and he goes right back at it. And so what motivates this kind of a commitment to evangelism and the Great Commission? What is it that motivates that kind of a commitment? It's love for God. It's the, the fear of God. It's a desire to glorify God uh, above the comforts of this world. It's a strong conviction of the heart that God is worthy of my life. And these ideas are all very closely related. Because if we realize that we were created to worship God and that He is worthy of all our worship, then we will live for Him And if we live for him, if we have this in our heart, we will love him. And if we love him, we will obey him. And if we fear him, we will obey him too. And so love for God that causes us to treasure him and value him is necessary to motivate our evangelism. Because evangelism isn't easy. Even if you won't get stoned with stones, evangelism isn't easy. And we... By nature, love comfort, don't we? We love comfort. Nobody came here this morning and thought, wouldn't it be great if I could go and preach the gospel and then get stoned? It's just not the way that we naturally think. Evangelism isn't comfortable, and therefore we need a greater love. We need a stronger desire than our desire for comfort to motivate us. And what is that stronger desire? Again, the strongest desire, it's a love for God. Jesus said, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. That's verse 24. If we love him, we will keep his commandments, and we will enjoy that fellowship with him that Jesus promises in those passages. The the great commandment is to love God and to love our neighbor. And the great commission goes along with it. It's the way that we carry out that commandment. The way that God has chosen to glorify Himself is through building His church. And it's through saving sinners and making them like Christ. And those sinners become worshipers who recognize the glory of God in Christ. And so when we are doing evangelism, do you see this? We are, we are proclaiming the gospel and now these enemies of God are becoming worshipers of God and they're getting the, and God is now getting the worship that He rightly deserves. And so through this work of evangelism, God is glorified and we are satisfied. But listen now, even if sinners reject the gospel, it still glorifies God when we proclaim it. Because when we proclaim the gospel, we tell people about God's amazing grace and His great love and compassion for sinners. And so we are proclaiming the excellencies of God and of Jesus Christ. 
We are telling people about Christ, how he died to pay the penalty for our sins and how he conquered death and rose from the grave. And so simply proclaiming the gospel glorifies God. And our obedience in proclaiming the gospel also glorifies God. And so you see, when we're committed to proclaiming the gospel, no matter the cost, we will tell the world that our God is worth more than our comfort And we show his greatness even when no one sees except God. And so God's children, our text calls them sons of God. God's children love him. And because they love him, they are peacemakers for his glory. Now, a seventh characteristic of a peacemaker is that, number seven, a peacemaker proclaims peace. In other words, a peacemaker is one who proclaims the gospel. Now, this is so obvious that it really hardly needs any time. But if we, if we miss this one, really almost everything else that we've said so far is useless. Because think about it. What good will it do if we have all the rest, but we don't actually proclaim the gospel? Now, I'm just going to go back through these points that we had, starting at number two, and just ask some questions here. What good is it, number two, to know others are in eternal danger if we don't warn them and implore them to be saved? Or what good is it, number three, if we can explain the way of peace and we can define all of those theological terms if we don't explain it to others? What good will it do, number four, if you live righteously before men so that nothing in your life undermines the message of the gospel if you never proclaim that message to those people? What good is it, my brethren, number five, if you say that you have love for others, but you don't open your mouth to speak the words of eternal life to them? What good is it to say, I love God, if you don't follow through with that love and obey his commandments? Now, when we get to number one now, going back, we need to adjust it slightly because it is a wonderful thing to have peace with God, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to have peace with God yourself. And I think it could be possible to to have peace with God and rarely proclaim the gospel. But something must be dreadful, dreadfully wrong in our lives if that's the case. You know, just, just think about it this way. If, if you found some great new coffee drink... Some just delicious coffee drink, some of you ladies. Wouldn't you go and tell people about how wonderful that coffee drink is? Or you could fill in some, some men. I was trying to think of what, are, what would just some men think. I, I see some of you guys, ladies, posting coffees that you're drinking all the time. Um, you like these coffees. Well, what about, you know, for the men, I don't know, what if there was some great shotgun that just got everything that you shot at? Or some, some kind of fishing lure that you just guaranteed, whoop, got a fish. You would be this fishing lure. Wow. You should have seen the fishing last weekend. Well, or whatever that thing is that you put in that blank. When, when we find some great new thing that we really love and we really enjoy, we just naturally want to proclaim it to others. We want others to share in our joy. And so how much more should we tell those that we know about the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord? Now, you might say to me then, well, I'm not good at explaining it. Well, we talked about that under point number three. We could review. You could grab yourself one of these cards. 
You can get better at explaining it. God works through the weakest people. And every Sunday when I'm up here preaching to you, I prove that to you week after week, that God works through the weakest people. And you might say, well, I don't know how to to get the conversation to spiritual things. And I would just say this. We could say more about this, but I would just say, just just go ahead and, and stick your foot in your mouth and just do it. Just, just say something that makes it impossible for you to change the conversation back to something normal. Say, hey, have I ever told you the gospel of Jesus Christ? And now you're in a conversation, whether you like it or not. Just go ahead and do that. Or, or you could say, can I tell you what I understand the scripture teaches on this? Or you could ask a, another question. You could say, what do you think makes somebody fit to go to heaven? Or... Do you have any spiritual beliefs? We used to do that at Grace Community Church. We'd go door to door and knock on the door and just say, hey, I'm here from Grace Community Church. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? And all of a sudden, you're in a spiritual conversation with somebody. I like to ask people, what is the gospel? And when you ask somebody a question like that, and and they have a chance to give their answer, they'll most often give you a chance to, to explain how you understand that same thing. Another thing that we could do if we are going to be proclaimers of the gospel is that we need to pray for opportunities. It's remarkable how if you pray for opportunities to share the gospel, next thing you know, you're sharing the gospel whether you want to or not in that moment because God brings opportunities and we need to be bold to take those opportunities because we care about others and we want to glorify God by reaching our community for Christ. And so brothers and sisters, peacemakers... Proclaim the gospel. And finally, number eight, a peacemaker is one who serves the church. And I think this point will encourage you a little bit here. I, I started off this morning by saying that, that this work of peacemakers is, is a work of the whole church. <clears throat> we are in this thing together. Now, all of us as individuals are called to proclaim the Gospels. And, and there's no exemptions. There's no exemptions for shyness. There's no exemptions because that's not your spiritual gift. There's no exemptions for other weaknesses. We are called to proclaim the Gospel. And every one of us should be faithful in evangelism on the personal level. <clears throat> but I, I also want to encourage you with this. The, the great commission, the, 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 the means by which God has designed to save people for His glory through the, the is, is through the local church. It's through the, it's the work of the whole church together. We work together. And each of us have different gifts according to the grace that is given us. And that means that we each contribute differently. Even though we're all faithful at some level to proclaim the gospel, each of us have different gifts and each of us are going to serve the Lord in different spheres. Some of us, some of you are going to be gifted evangelists. And that's awesome. We need gifted evangelists. We need people who can, are just good at starting conversations and explaining the gospel. Some of you might be gifted to teach evangelism, and you can teach others. That's awesome. Serve the Lord in teaching evangelism. Equip others to preach the gospel. But others of us have gifts in different areas. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you can ignore everything I've said until now. No, each of us should be a peacemaker, and each of us must be a peacemaker. 
But if, you're, if your gifts are in other areas, I, I want you to know that by using your gifts to serve the church, that's part of God's plan for reaching the nations. It's, it's part of God's plan to make us a healthy church that reaches others. And so we are working together to fulfill the Great Commission. When we build one another up in our most holy faith, we are building up the church and we are, we are being and participating in this great peacemaking work of the church. When we encourage one another, when we love one another, when we worship together on Sunday, all of the things that we do together as a, as a body, as the body of Christ is working together towards this goal. We, as Grace Bible Fellowship, are planting this church so that we will function corporately as a, a gospel light in this community. Our goal is not only to reach this community, but also, but, but also to grow spiritually and numerically so that we can plant other churches or that we can send missionaries to plant other churches throughout the world. And each of us is to use his or her gifts, his or her talents, his or her abilities, his or her opportunities towards this goal. <clears throat> So when you give your time to set up chairs or run the soundboard or have somebody over for dinner for some intentional discipleship fellowship, when you give financially, whatever you do, you are playing a role in building this church for the glory of God. And with God's blessing, many people will be influenced through us and come to salvation in Jesus Christ and our God will be glorified. And so, brothers and sisters, we are peacemakers. And if you are peacemakers, then congratulations, as we saw with the other Beatitudes. Blessed means congratulations. If you are a peacemaker, congratulations. You are blessed, and you will be called, you will be owned as the sons and the daughters of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this blessing we thank you that even though we were once your enemies, that we had nothing to contribute spiritually, and we still do, that we, by your grace, have become your children, that, that we were those who recognized our brokenness, that you have made us poor in spirit, that you have caused us to mourn over our sin, that you have meeked us and worked in us such that even we become peacemakers who can be used of you to bring others to this great salvation. We just thank you for the privilege and we pray that you would help us, help us as individuals to be faithful in this ministry, to grow in this ministry and help us as a local church to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ, that you might be glorified and that you might receive the worship that you are due in this world that is yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.